So come on up, Lee. You know, I went to UCLA, I mean UCLA, and I joined a Jewish fraternity. Because I'm Chinese, and, and they like money, and we like money, so I thought it was a pretty good fit. And it's called ZBT. And uh, one day, uh, a guy slugged me. He said, what was that for? And he says, that's for Pearl Harbor. I said, Pearl Harbor? That's for the Japanese. Oh, I got to start over again. You're on now. Start over, you went to UCLA. And I got slugged. What did you do that for? That was for Pearl Harbor. I said, what? I am Chinese. That was done by the Japanese. And he says, Chinese, Japanese, what's the difference? So I thought about that for a while, and so I just slugged him. <laughs> he said, what was that for? I said, that was for uh, the Titanic. <laughs> you mean the Titanic, the one that was hit by an iceberg? I said, Iceberg, Ginsburg, Goldberg, what's the difference? <laughs> so I have a... You know how we know that uh, Adam and Eve were not Chinese people? They would have eaten a snake. <laughs> anyway, how do you know that <clears throat> God loves you? Second question, I got a couple questions. How do you know God loves you? <clears throat> or second, how does God know you love him? Is there a way that God can measure how much we love him? Does it matter? Does it matter to God how much you love him? So when Jesus was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment, you all remember what he said, right? That's in Matthew 23, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. So I thought I would talk about that great commandment. That is, how shall we love God? What produces that kind of love? And how do we do it? And in doing so, I would like to go over a well-known story, a story about the two debtors. So let me pray. Father, ask you to be in this talk fully aware that without your help, this is going to go nowhere. Only what you do with it, only the purpose that you have for it, and only your spirit can make this talk what is worth, uh, worthwhile and, and end up in the way it should end up. So it all committed, we commit this all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my text is uh, Luke 7, 36 to 50. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And uh, behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet 
with tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, (laughs) this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, go, go ahead, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, that therefore, will love him more? And Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But since, she, since the time I came in, she has not ceased or stopped to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with them began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Context here is that <clears throat> Jesus is becoming a celebrity. He's been healing people, making, letting the lame walk, the blind is seeing. He is uh, raising the dead even. And so as a celebrity, he gets invited to the big man's house. Pretty, pretty nice house. And in the ancient Near East, these uh, dinners were open affairs. Uh, people outside could gather around and even come inside at, at some points. So, but the Pharisees had invited Jesus in as a test. And his test is, who is this guy? Who is this guy really? I'd like to get to know him better. So the scene is that they are reclining. So they're on their left elbow. They're eating at the right. Their feet are tables here, and they're laying down. They're resting in their selves on the left elbow, and their feet are out this way. The lady comes behind him, standing right at the end where his feet are, and she gets emotional. can't help herself. She starts to cry. And then, oops, she's been dripping on her, his feet. Well, I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you, but I suppose, I guess it's irritating. Jesus, she's worried she's getting his feet all wet. Who in the world is doing this to me? And uh, so she, uh, the Bible describes her as a sinner, an open sinner. That means she's labeled. Everybody in the town knows about her. She's a lady of ill repute. And the fact that the phrase in the city shows that she's generally known by everybody. And the woman stands there, starts weeping, and notices that, oops, she is weeping on his feet, so she just instinctively kneels and starts drying those feet with her hair. A woman's hair is her crown and glory to unbind and loosen that hair in public. 
is disgraceful, is considered, in front of strangers especially, is considered disgraceful and indecent. It's an act of deepest self-humiliation. So there she is overcome with emotion and constantly kissing his feet. To kiss someone's feet shows the most devoted obedience and subjection. So Simon has omitted common courtesy to wash Jesus' feet. It's really a slight. Meanwhile, she is breaking perfume over his feet. She's dripping perfume, wiping, kissing, anointing. And Jesus is tacitly allowing it to happen, so that probably is encouraging her all, all along. Uh, weeping shows the feelings of her heart. So the parable that comes here in Luke 7 is set up by the Pharisees' judgment. And so he's thinking, this Jesus is not a prophet. Ironically, Jesus can read minds, so he can read the mind of what the Pharisees thinking. And he's going to turn the tables on him. So this little incident creates a backdrop to an important principle that Jesus wants to teach. And the principle is contained in the very parable itself. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Now, which one of them, therefore, will love him more? Both in debt, both can't pay, and both are forgiven. Differences, of course, is the amount of debt differs. And then secondly, and most importantly, the amount of love in response is different because the debt is different. And that issue first comes up in verse 42. Verse 42 says, when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? So the central feature here is brought out by the parable. We have a comparison. We have the love shown by the woman. And on the other hand, we have the lack of love shown by the Pharisee. And there seems to be a positive correlation between the amount of love expressed and the amount of forgiveness received back. So do you think there's a relationship between what you do for a person and how much you can expect back in response for what you've done for that person? I think it's obvious. Yes. So when pressed with the issue... And they ask, well, which one do you think will love him more? Even the Pharisee is forced to respond with a tentative answer. Well, I suppose the one who is forgiven more should love him more. And Jesus himself verifies his answer. He says, correct, you have judged rightly. Then in verses 44 to 46, Jesus pointedly states a contrast between how he's treated by the woman Versus how he's been treated by the Pharisees. So, you know, when a guest comes into the house, it's just normal. It's normal protocol. The host places his hand on the guy's shoulder, gives him a kiss of welcome, kiss of peace. It's a mark of respect. And this was omitted to Jesus, who was a distinguished rabbi. 
And of course, the, the roads are, there's no pavement, there's no sidewalks. The roads are dusty and dirty. And there's, there's only these shoes and sandals held on by these straps. So the feet are going to be dirty. And normally, they give you water for your feet. And also, another custom that happens, is, thirdly, is they'll put a pinch of some sweet-smelling incense and anoint your head with some rose water or something like that as a way to greet you. So the anointing serves as a formal greeting. So these things are basically good manners. It's proper protocol, demanded. In the case of Jesus of Nazareth, none of this stuff is done for him when he can come. And uh, no water to wash his feet was given to us, but she used her tears to wash his feet. No proper greeting. She kept on kissing his feet. And there was no anointing for his head as a greeting. And she was anointing him with this expensive perfume on the feet. So the issue which was first brought up in verse 42 is repeated again in verse 47. Verse 47 says this. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. This is a key verse. So according to how much forgiveness we feel we have received, that's going to determine or manifest in the way we love Jesus back. That's the connection. I'd never thought about that. So if we feel that we've been forgiven a lot, then it'll be natural for us to respond with lots of love back. Well, I don't know what you call it, whether it's lots of love back, lots of affection back, lots of manifestation of appreciation back. It's just, it's just natural. The one that is forgiven a lot is the one who's going to love a lot. And by the same reason, one who's forgiven a little is going to love a little. Now notice the statement at the end of verse 47. But he who has forgiven a little loves little. And that's, I think, the key verse there. So the drama builds in verse 39. After the Pharisee sees the scene of the lady slobbering all over Jesus' feet. He is so wrong with his judgment. He goes, this is, dis this is disgusting. And he says, Jesus can't even know what kind of lady she is. You know? <laughs> Meanwhile, he's reading the Pharisee's mind what he's thinking. So Jesus focused on the Pharisee who thinks he has little to, to forgive and therefore... It's obvious because he's the one who loves little. And the Pharisee is not touched by the scene. He is judging how Jesus would, would, would let a lady like this touch him. She's sinful. She's unclean. So the story starts out with Pharisee testing Jesus to see if he's a prophet. And Jesus is going to turn the tables on him and test the Pharisee to measure how much sin the Pharisee feels he has. Now, there's going to be a correlation now. We're setting this up between how much sin you feel you have will manifest it in how much love you yourself return back to God. 
So the point of the story is, with these characters, how much sin does each of the characters feel about themselves? So as we say, as we say that, have seen Jesus can read people's minds. And uh, this parable that he's giving now, I think is directly aimed at the Pharisee. The Pharisee now becomes the main object. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500, the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Very simple parable. Now skip down with me to verse 47. That's related to verse 42. Because verse 47, same thing. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. So my conclusion here is that love is a tell. A person loves God. A person's Love for God is a direct function of how much he or, fe- he or she feels she's been forgiven. If you've been forgiven a little, you're not going to be able to create much love back for God. It's going to be little love back. But if you are someone who loses it, I mean, I don't know if we should make a big deal out of what that lady did. I don't want to risk turning this whole group into a bunch of charismatic freaks or anything, just getting all emotional about the love of Jesus. But it's just something that's just natural. If you feel like you've been forgiven of a lot, it's natural. You're going to love a lot. Now, I think there's a little confusion in the word for sounds like her sins have been forgiven because she loved much. Or it could be translated, she's, her sins have been forgiven for she loved much. So if we take that translation, that of because, it seems very logical. It sounds like God's forgiveness comes to us as a result of him seeing that you love him. That causes me to think that We should prove our love for Jesus first. And then as a result, we can receive forgiveness. I say it in different words. Does our love for God first somehow cause him to love us and forgive us back? Who makes the first move? Who takes the initiative? Does God forgive us first, causing us to respond with love back to him? Or do we initially love God first, which then prompts his forgiveness back to us? Now, from the last verses, 47 to 50, it seems that the lady loves Jesus so much, and therefore, as a result, he forgives her. That's going to mean that the lady earns that forgiveness of Jesus by her incredible emotional acts of love on him. And it looks like the forgiveness comes as a result of the things that she does for Jesus. I don't think this is true. Some of you are shaking your head. I agree with you. You guys are saying no. So we want to, I want to propose here that there's something worthwhile in slobbering for Jesus. 
I mean, this is a fit description of what this lady does in our passage. And it's such an arresting action that it points to something profound. Something happened to her. Wow. She is emotionally hit. And I'm saying that something so special and so significant must have happened to this lady before, which causes her to slobber like this and make a scene. Now, here's an important point I want to make. Rather than having her emotional display of love for Jesus to be the cause and the reason why he's going to forgive her, I think the woman's actions are a result or proof that she's been forgiven, has already been given to her. And when it hits her, this is her automatic response back to Jesus for the fact that she's been forgiven. So this question is, which comes first? Your love for God or his forgiveness of your sins? Which causes which? The Bible says, we love because he first loved us. Jesus Christ loves us first. We respond with love back. The amount of love that we love God back with is a function of how much we feel we have been forgiven by him. And that is a function of looking inside ourselves and realizing how much sin we have. Verse 47 could be, could be read a couple ways. It says, for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. For the, the reasons of her conduct, her sins are forgiven because she loved much. Anyway, either for or because. I'm just saying that the preferred translation is for. The reason why we see that her sins have been forgiven or we, we, we deduce that her sins have been forgiven because she loved much. Or her loving of Jesus is a natural response to the fact that she's been hit, that she's been loved by Christ. And how does she know that? Because of how much she's been forgiven. So the question is, which comes first? Our love for God or his forgiveness of us. I see the support for the latter. He forgives first from other places in the Bible. For example, Jesus makes the first move in Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his love, his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then plain and simple, 1 John 4, 19. Right there on the bottom. We love because he first loved us. That's the sequence. So to sum up, the word for in verse 47, for she loved much, is the idea of proof. Not the idea of cause or reason. It's the idea of proof. This is followed up in the same this is followed up in the same verse there as 47 when, he, when it says, He who is forgiven little loves little. So the parable itself has a person receiving forgiveness first 
And then the question, how much as a result will that person love? In verse 50, Jesus shows that the lady is not saved by her actions. She's saved by faith. It's pretty bold for a sinner to come up to Jesus and do these amazing things like fall on your knees, wash this guy's feet, cry over his feet, dry him with the hair, pour expensive perfume, unless something had profoundly happened to her first. I think she's been forgiven first. It's already happened. She feels it has happened. It's hit her. His forgiveness was so tangible. She just broke, broke down. It, was, it floored her. So in our story, what the woman did for Jesus in a way of costly acts of love was the consequences of what he did for her, not the cause of the forgiveness. So again, restating the principle, we don't do loving things to God, for God in order to win his forgiveness. But when we do loving things, that there is a tell, which some call, can be a conversion even, a conversion tell, that what Christ did on the cross has truly hit someone. I remember my own conversion. I was a first lieutenant in the United States Army. I, it was during the Vietnam War, and I'd come out of Berkeley, and we, we, we marched. I didn't want to be photographed, but I'm here, I am in ROTC in Berkeley. I'm marching uh, uh, Asians against the Vietnam War. I'm, a- I'm anti-Vietnam War. I Meanwhile, I'm an ROTC commissioned officer, and I'm marching with these students in Washington, D.C. But anyway, uh, I'm just saying that There's a tell that when you are converted and you get hit by that, and I think that's the point of this slobbering lady. And I'd like to get to that point. I wish we could, all, all of us, and we all hold back. And I'm not advocating we all become Pentecostals and start rolling around on the floor slobbering or anything because a sign the Holy Spirit's descended on us. You know, but... But in a sense, that's, that's just what I see in the story. She was so hit by the cost of that forgiveness. And I think that for us to apply that, I think it's helpful to contemplate the cross more. That's a healthy thing. And I th- look at my own heart. I don't do it enough. And I remember when I used to live in Boston, there's a huge Right there near Boston Common, near the park there. There's a huge Jesus on the cross around the side of the building there, uh, across from Boston Common. And I would go over there and just stand there and look at it, you know, and see if it could give me a buzz or something. <laughs> but but uh, maybe I, I just didn't know what I was doing. But, but I just think that I want that thing to, oh, I want that thing to flow over me. I want it to hit me. And how do I do that? Well, first of all, I think it's just you've got to look in your, in your own heart and see what a piece of doo-doo you are. And, and I can, that's not hard for me. I don't need to go into the gruesome details, but just talk to my wife. <laughs> She'll tell you. <laughs> and uh, 
it's, uh, it's, it's mind-boggling. How in the world could God pick up the likes of me? There's so many better people out there, people that are not so fraudulent and so two-faced and uh, so inconsistent. Oof. So, I don't know. That's, and so, I think to the degree that you see your sin, that's the degree you'll feel his redemption. And I don't know how hard it is for you to see that, how, how much sin there is, but we hold back on looking at that. How, how in the world can you come back with love back for him? You don't think you're much of a sinner. I, I just don't know if we can propose that as an exercise that we just go deep into our own sin, you know, and just contemplate. And just, we just do this privately in, a, in our own closets or whatever. And it's a, it's a private thing to get hit by that. And I, I just think that that's the point of this story. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look at him on that cross. And that cross is for you. If there's no other person that's alive on this earth that needs it, he still has to go to the cross for you. And I think that's what happened to that lady. If you just somehow had an experience with Jesus, she knew he was her savior. She knew what kind of death he was going to go to. She was overcome. She knew that that death was just for her. And, uh, and here she is, an example in our Bibles, Luke 7. And uh, you know, we're men, but we don't want to get anybody catch us, you know, slobbery because of uh, that we're hit by what Christ has done for us. But I think it's healthy. I don't know how long it takes you to look at how bad your sin is, but it doesn't take me too long. And uh, I think it's a healthy thing because it will force you to have to look to the cross for forgiveness. It's the only place to look. It's the only place for deliverance. It's, it's your only hope. There is no other place to go. You know, and, uh, and that's the plan. God forces you to go back to the cross and, and see it for yourself. And you look full in his wonderful face as he is suffering there for you. Now, I don't know if the tell necessarily is slobbering love. I don't know. But it's a tell nonetheless that a person has believed that the death of Christ on the cross was done for him. He has personalized it. I hate to tell you what those tells look like. I don't want to sound like a charismatic, and I'm not a charismatic, but I do want to say those tells are apparent. And I'd like to say that a lack of a tell, just sitting there like most of us do in church, an home attitude, that we could take it or leave it, it's no big deal. That's not the response. Not the, that's not the point of this story. 
God becoming a man to show that we are condemned for our sin against him by letting that condemnation come upon him by his son Jesus on the cross. Seeing what God does to his son is a picture of how God feels about sin. He didn't even spare his own son. That is, a, that is the correct picture of how God feels about his sin, what he did to his own son. So sin is not only hazardous to our health, sin kills us and kills us for eternity. If we don't profoundly get that, we, we need to focus on, on that man hanging on the cross. And when you feel that excruciating agony, when you hear Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we need to internalize what that means for us. And when that internal, internalization sinks in, that something like that should have happened to us, then maybe we can be like that lady who was really overcome. So I'm not ready to prescri going to prescribe anything like that. Each one of us is different when we do our slobbering. And I'm not even saying we need to do slobbering. But whatever it is, it should be a heartfelt abandonment of gratitude and joy. We should do something that while our wives might think it's ridiculous, God loves it because it reveals how we feel to have been forgiven for our sins. As a minimum, we can follow that up with acts of general Christian behavior, such as generosity with poor people, caring for the down and out, goodness to people who are not good back to you, loving those who you never felt who never have felt love from anyone before, generally exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, and goodness to people. So this is not a complicated passage. A simple parable wrapped inside a very poignant story. The main idea is love is the expected response to being forgiven of sin. How much you love God depends on how much you think you've been forgiven. How you see your sin affects the amount of your love for God. The question is, are you a big sinner or are you a little sinner? It depends on your ability to see yourself accurately. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for uh, this little lesson from this woman. Well, I confess to you that we're uptight and we hold back. But when we think about it, we're just like that lady. We're just like what the Apostle Paul said when he said he's chief among sinners. We're just like when Walt Hendrickson made us like quasi get sick when he felt he was the worst kind of sinner. But we're all in the same boat. And, uh, and so, Lord... Uh, we would like to, to be cleansed. We'd like to be forgiven. And uh, 
we just thank you for this example of this lady. And we want to emulate that. Thank you for this conference and the chance for us to consider these things. And uh, we just pray that we can leave here as not the same men as when we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Lee. Just one comment. Uh, comment. Um, his wife, uh, Miltini, uh, some months ago, invited a group of guys to come to the house for a surprise birthday party for Lee. And, um, and it truly was a surprise. I mean, she did a great job of uh, keeping it uh, as, as a surprise. And the guys that showed up from all over, from Australia, um, Hong Kong, um, yeah, what, yeah, yeah, all over. I mean, back east, you name it, they all showed up. And um, she had asked the men on Saturday. It started on a Friday. On Saturday, she had asked the men if they had spent a little time on how Lee has impacted their life. Now, there's a room full of men. And every man that I saw, as they were explaining how Lee Yi had impacted their life, had to stop because they couldn't get through all the comments. It was so emotional. And uh, it's amazing how God can use a guy who had five dads and a train wreck of a life and um, used him in such a way with so many men. And, and Miltini couldn't invite all the men. <laughs> there, um, she just said, she just said, I, this is, I guess this is the list, Lord. And uh, there were many others she could have invited. But it was, I was astounded as I was watching, uh, listening to all these men and their testimony of how uh, God used Lee Yi in these men's lives. And I know some of you in the room were here, and uh, it was pretty, it was pretty impactful.